Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics, a podcast dedicated to exploring how things get places and the people who get them there. We'll talk with logistics and supply chain leaders about innovation, industry trends, and the future of the logistics business. Now, here's your host, Joe Lynch. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics podcast. My name is Joe Lynch. Thank you so much for joining us today. Today's topic is the warped story with my friend, Daniel Sokolovsky. How's it going, Daniel? Hey, pretty good, Joe. Nice to, nice to meet you. Thank you for having me over here. Thank you. Please introduce yourself and your company. Absolutely. My name is Daniel Sokolovsky. I'm a the logistics entrepreneur, if you want to call it that. I've been in logistics my entire life. Grew up in a family courier company. Ran Axel Hire for six years, where I founded, you know, national regional carrier, and I'm now working on Warp, which is, you know, we call it trying to master the middle mile. But really, we're building the next generation LTL carrier. Very nice, very nice. So, Daniel, where are you calling from today? We're based over here in Los Angeles. I'm actually calling from my my kitchen at home. <laughs> at I can see office. that. Yeah, for the, for those looking at the video, you can see the kitchen, the microwave. Very nice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Got all the modern. I always joke at what a friend of mine calls it. He calls it lunch. I go. I'm just waiting in the other room, waiting for the executive chef to finish my meal. Yeah, <laughs> uh, that's also my job. So, Daniel, you mentioned you guys are building what the next generation LTL carrier. So, to explain what you mean by that. Yeah, so I think like next generation, it's a very open statement, right? We're really, what we are really doing is we're taking a network of asset-based providers that own cargo vans, box trucks, 53-foot tractor trailers, different types of, you know, road-based vehicles and equipment, and then stitching those and coupling them with a network of cross-stock facilities that's using our software. So basically, we're, we're, we're effectively building a new LTL network with other people's assets, right? So we're empowering small businesses, small and medium businesses to use our technology and to participate in the warp network. And effectively, we're using that network to provide more efficient and more effective free transportation for our clients and our customers. And so if you think about it, we can offer LTL services because we now have this hub, super efficient hub and spoke network that we can move freight through very quickly. We're also able to provide full truckload services to our customers that need kind of a more end-to-end solution. But really, we are the future of middle mile in general, right? We're very, very focused on commerce in general, both e-commerce and uh, brick and mortar commerce. We, spe- so we specifically focus on three categories of transportation, which are direct store delivery, direct carrier injection, right? And then warehouse to warehouse transfers. And so with those kind of three types of services, effectively, we're owning the supply chain from the moment an order is fulfilled to the moment that it gets to the regional carrier that's ultimately delivering that package. Or in the brick and mortar kind of chain, we're owning the order from the distribution center all the way to when it hits the store and and and, and we, we make an on-time appointment for delivery at that store. And that's kind of what I would say the warp piece of, of, of kind of that retail chain is. So I want to come back to a few things. So but before I want to get a little I want to get a little bit of your background and then I want to come back when we're done talking about you. I want to talk about the, what the, what is the middle mile. I want to talk about what is less than truckload. A lot of people are focused on truckload. That's the majority of the market, right? LTL is a super important market that's had problems during the pandemic. They're not the only ones. And and then we'll talk a little bit about direct injection and, and the importance of that in the e-commerce and some of the other things you guys are doing. So but before we do that, tell us a little bit about you. When we were prepping, I noticed you had a little bit of an accent and I asked where you were from. 
and you said L.A. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, but but tell us a little bit about you. Where'd you grow up? Where'd you go to school? Give us some career highlights before you started this. Absolutely. So I'm I'm a son of you know Ukrainian immigrants. My parents moved over here in the early '90s uh, to L.A. I was born in '93. I grew up, you know, with uh, Russian as my first language, you know, learned English as a, in the ESL program. Is, is Russian and Ukrainian the same language? I don't even know. I thought they were slightly different. They're two absolutely different languages. What happened was that in the Soviet Union, right, it was mandated that everyone was speaking Russian. And so my parents, their primary language was Russian that they learned, and then their, their secondary language was Ukrainian. In my home, I only spoke Russian. My parents never taught me Ukrainian. It wasn't a big... It, it, because it wasn't their primary language, I had never learned their secondary. They understand it. They can, they can, they can communicate it. And I was just never passed down the language itself. But even now, so, with most kind of former Soviet countries, their primary language is usually Russian, and then the, the secondary language is the language of that home country. Now, since all of this stuff is happening in the past couple of months, God, like, who knows what, what that future looks like. Yeah, yeah. So um, do you have any friends and family back in uh, the Ukraine? So my, my parents do have some, you know, minimal, minimal amount of friends and family that are still left in the Ukraine. Many of them, you know, are obviously on their way out as refugees. You know, my girlfriend's family has basically has relatives also in the Ukraine. They're, you know, they're trying to figure out their situation right now, whether to leave the country or stay. I think it's a very kind of scary and precarious situation for a lot of people. They don't know what to expect. They don't know what to believe. And so there's, you know, we, we definitely have our hearts out for everybody over there. Yeah, yeah. Very difficult time. And, you know, we, we're talking about this before we hit record you really me as me as born and raised here i just feel so darn lucky i mean for those and the united states isn't the only safe place on earth but there's so many of us who just were born and raised in places where we never had to fight for our survival like people in the ukraine are doing right now and i feel bad for them absolutely so you're born to ukrainian parents you can speak some russian and what kind of kid were you do you work do you, do you uh, play sports yeah, I grew up as entrepreneur, right? Like I, I would go, I spent the summers at the local park. I, you, I was in fourth grade, you know, selling ice cream and candy bars and Gatorades at the basketball court. You know, <laughs> I was in seventh grade selling, you know, comics books, comic books to kids. So I've always had that very like transactional commerce background. I, you know, if you, if you asked me at any time that I was a kid, what do I want to do when I grow up? I always said, Hey, I want to have a business. I never understood what that meant as, as much as I understand now, right? But that's always, as a kid, you know, what I, what I kind of aimed for. I went to college. I, I, I went to public school. Like, I'm, I'm, you know, product of the public education system. I went to college at Berkeley where I studied applied math. You know, applied math is a very interesting, obviously, study. But I really wanted to, I, I really liked the real life, right? I, I liked logistics. I liked problem solving. Where'd you go to college? UC Berkeley. Very nice. Very nice. Yeah, thank you. Great school. So you studied applied mathematics. And what were you planning to do when you got out? I think, you know, the initial plan, you know, was uh, to become an actuary, right? <laughs> to really go out and, and, and start figuring out, you know, risk assessments, risk tolerances, all that kind of stuff. Year one, I realized I don't want to be an actuary, <laughs> you know, and instead I, I wanted to be a logistician, right? Uh, Basically, I really liked uh, transportation. I, you know, like I said, I grew up with my parents having a courier business, so I knew a, a lot of this kind of stuff like the back of my hand. When I was at, in school, I started a food delivery company. This is about a year before DoorDash and Postmates and all those guys got really big and popular. 
And I ultimately decided that the unit economics of food delivery didn't work. So after a year and a half, you know, shut it down and ended up starting Axel Hire. And Axel Hire really at the beginning, the problem that we were trying to solve was to be able to provide a more affordable same day delivery solution, right? We, we basically made a statement and said that, hey guys, we understand that same day delivery is something real and it's a necessity. But we also don't understand why the cost needs to be 15 plus dollars an order. And so my goal at Axel Hire was really to provide same day delivery for five dollars or less. And that was kind of like the mission for, for a long time. We spent, you know, I, I was there for six and a half, a little bit over six and a half years, almost seven. You know, we, we, we spent a long time and a lot of a lot of time, a lot of effort into building a national regional provider. And, uh, and we thought of everything, you know, we fixed, we, we, we talked about driver supply and driver behavior and how, and how do you deliver a package more efficiently? And I felt that now is the time, you know, when I left last, last October, I felt it was the time to do that in the freight space, in LTL and full chocolate. Very nice. Very nice. So Axel Hire is still doing well, right? Axel Hire is doing great. They're, uh, they're growing like crazy month over month. I, I hear nothing but good things about them. So you started this new company when? We started in November of, of 2021. I like the new name, Warp. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Yeah, we, uh, we worked with a great marketing agency to come up with it. I, I couldn't have thought of it myself. <laughs> <laughs> so you started it in November and, and uh, you guys got VC backing, right? Yeah, so we basically closed around in January. You know, we we got our term sheet. We partnered up with one of Axel Hire's very first investors, which was B Partners. They issued us a term sheet in December, and we were able to close up the round in January. So, what was your thought? What was the problem you wanted to solve in the market? What what hole did you see in the market when you started Warp? So, I think I think similar to like you know my whole thesis at Axel Hire, right? I wanted to I, I saw same day delivery was a future, and I wanted to make it as affordable as possible. I think really similar here is we see kind of like piece based or pallet based freight transportation as the as the de facto standard in the future, right? Companies, even if they end up needing a full truckload, shouldn't have to decide whether they need a less than load or a full truckload and what kind of container they need. They, you know, so we're making it so easy where they let us know how much freight are they're transporting, what's the pallet count, what's the sack count, whatever kind of piece of freight that they're moving with us. We're taking all that information, digitizing it into our system, planning resources using an assetless fleet, right? Going out, figuring out which, like, how does it move through our hub and spoke network? Which of our cross dock partners does it stop at? How does it move as efficiently as possible? And then we give the customer a choice of saying, hey, what do you like? What do you care for more? Do you care about cost and you want to get it there as cheap as possible? Do you care about speed and want to get it there as quickly as possible? or some some combination in the middle. And that's where kind of like the warp magic happens. Yep. So I want to kind of get everybody level set here. So first off, you mentioned um, that you guys are very similar to less than truckload. You're in that same space. And so let's talk about what the less than truckload is. So I'll, I'll give you, uh, I'll say what I think it is, uh, and I'll describe it, and then I want to get your two cents. So if I move in 40 pallets somewhere, I get a full truck. So I move that from from where I'm at in Michigan to LA, I get a truck, full truck. It goes, picks up at my location, direct, drops at Daniel's. Life is good. That's truckload. But if I just need to sell Daniel three pallets or two pallets or one pallet, I don't want to pay for that same full truck. So I go into the less than truckload market. And the way that works is truck would come pick it up at my location, take it back to their terminal. And at that terminal, they consolidate my freight with a whole bunch of other freight. And then they would go most likely a few stops between 
Michigan, where I'm at, a few stops on the way to LA. And that would stop and it would let some freight off and add some freight. So so my freight would be moving westbound, but it'd have a few stops along the way. So rather than get there in five days or four days, whatever it is, Detroit to Chicago or Detroit to LA direct, it might take seven or eight days or nine days. I don't know how long it would take these days, but it would take much longer than, and it would get some handling. And the LTL carriers have gotten much better about getting freight so it gets less handling because the more stuff is handled, the more it gets damaged, the more it gets, the higher the cost. So LTL is an excellent alternative for somebody who's moving two pallets. It's more cost per pallet, but I only have two pallets. Again, I can't afford a full truck. So it's just in effect, it's consolidation and then managing that consolidation. So that's kind of what you guys are doing at Warp, right? So kind of. So basically, my exp- my explanation of LTL is a little bit different, right? So for me, what is LTL? If you are a manufacturer that's based in Ohio, that's, that's I don't know, let's say you're Procter & Gamble or, 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 uh, or Unilever or somebody, right? And you have these production facilities that are based somewhere in the center of the country. You're constantly going out and shipping freight throughout the country. That ends up going to grocery stores. It gets to Amazon warehouses. It gets to distribution centers, other fulfillment centers. And basically, it comes from, you know, one or few locations within kind of center of America, let's say in this instance, and it goes out and spreads east, west, north, south, and goes to all these different places, right? In some cases, right now, their logistics, their logistic planners are going out and figuring out, okay, how do I move a full truckload east? How do I move a full truckload west? And they're going out and internally trying to optimize and say, hey, I'm moving this full truckload. I need this one to go east. Maybe I can pair this other three pallets on there that need to go to this one store that goes to Florida, right? And then from there, I can go out and have it stop at this crosstalk and go that way, right? And so what's happening is that these huge companies that are technically shipping one pallet or four pallets to these to each of these destinations, right, are having huge logistical planning arms, huge managed transportation providers, right? Huge people that are going out and figuring, okay, you're shipping a lot. But, but the end the end destination is few, right? How can I go out and optimize your network as effectively as possible? And what we're doing is basically automating that, right? Is, is we've automated the, the logistical planning, the logistical complexity of creating a network like that, right? We're obviously still onboarding more warehouses, adding more hubs and spokes into the system, right? These digital hub and spokes that we can use. And we're effectively going to these customers and offering them a solution that would take your... 20 full truckloads picking up in Ohio and, and, and somehow break those up to the, to the, I don't know, 120 single pallet drop-offs or double pallet drop-offs that are going to both coasts across multiple different locations. And so we're, we're, our, our kind of focus is going out and helping to optimize that. And we're still thinking about that as LTL, right? Our drop-offs are LTL. And then being able to use that exact same network to, to go out and help people move LTL back from, you know, California to Nevada or whatever one of those three stops that that freight may take, right? So like, for instance, I'll, I'll give a use case. We may pick up in Ohio and deliver to a distribution center in Reno. And there is a full truckload, right? There, the distribution center, it's 24 pallets that they're expecting, right? It's a full truckload. That's fine. The work would handle that service, right? Like we can go and do that. 
but we would also go out and with the same customer who's moving that freight into Reno, we would also go out and help them move their freight into their stores in the Bay Area, right? And so now, or their, or their fulfillment center that they need to go to in the Bay Area. And so what would happen is that a full truck goes Ohio to Reno, but another full truck is now going from Ohio, stopping at, I don't know, Vegas or stopping at uh, Portland, right, for a... Uh, for a quick stop, dropping off four pallets, and then ultimately making its way to the Bay Area, stopping at a cross dock, getting into smaller cargo vans or box trucks, and then going out for the local delivery route. So if you think about like what say the traditional LTL is, is it is a local a local pickup takes back to a terminal that will call the first mile. Then the middle mile is we don't call it the second mile, we call it the middle mile. Middle mile is that what or line halls, they would call it, is from, let's just say the Detroit terminal. And using the example of going Detroit to LA, it pick up, it go Detroit to Chicago, and then it would get some freight off. And that freight that's getting off is going either going. Staying locally or going completely different direction. Yeah. It's either going south or it's going, you know, it's, it's, it's going to get on another line hall or it's going to get on a local. If it gets on that local, that's the final mile. So when you think about the Detroit to LA, scenario that I discussed. There's the first mile where they come pick up at my location. There's the middle mile, which is basically Detroit to LA. And then there, and there's, then there's another local, which we'll call that the final mile. So that's local delivery. So you have two local deliveries on each end, local, local providers on either end, and then a middle mile that unites them. Now that's what less than truckload does for you. And that's also what Warp is doing, right? Mm -hmm. Exactly. So basically, we're using smaller mom and pop local providers on the local pickup and the local delivery. Side. Is it gig economy? It's it's not gig. We're using established businesses with anywhere from like three to twenty five vehicles. So think about okay. it as like your typical your former seafood distributors or somebody who owns a fleet for some manufacturer, and then all of a sudden they spin it off and and start working with us. It's also companies that existing service providers that have been servicing all different types of local businesses for a while and are now getting paid slightly more because they're participating in this whole commerce economy rather than like the local sub economy that they were in before. So they're working with us because they're getting paid more effectively. You, as far as your network of companies you work with, you don't own any of your own assets? No. So I didn't think so. So basically, we would like in the same example, we would use, let's say it's a, uh, let, let's say it's 12 pallets that need to go from Detroit to LA. Okay. One pickup location in Detroit, three, three drop off locations in LA. Okay. So what would happen is that we pick up on a local box truck from Detroit and then take it to a cross dock in Detroit. Okay. Now what happens is that that cross dock, Everything leaving from the cross dock is done by 53 footer, you know, your regular dry van, whatever yep. it is, right? Now what happens is that if there's enough inventory heading from Detroit to LA, right, or the customer's paying enough. So don't even think about it as revenue. If it, don't even think about it as inventory. If there's enough revenue on that truck where the where where it's moving from Detroit to LA, great. We send it directly to Detroit to LA. If there isn't, it may take a stop in Chicago, like you just mentioned, or it may take a stop in Des Moines or or whatever else, right? And then ultimately get to LA. Once it gets to LA, now it's now that freight is broken down, consolidated, and grouped up with the other freight that arrives into that LA crosstalk, and then delivered maybe by a cargo van or maybe by a box truck if there's enough volume for that particular route. So we're right-sizing the, the local side to specifically to the smallest vehicle we can use for that pickup or for that group of pickups. And then the line haul, we're, we're running and we're just digitally connecting it to the rest of the layers.
Right. So you have a network of local local pickup and delivery guys, and those are those are not gig economy. They're established companies with you know with so so the challenge with the gig economy is always you know they want to work when they want to work, and you 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 have customers, so you can't deal with that necessarily. So then do you have to have cross dock relationships with a whole bunch of different trucking companies? Is that how you're managing uh, the locations? Right now we're actually targeting uh, cross like exclusive cross docking companies. So not trucking companies with a cross dock, but cross dock companies. Maybe, maybe they have a truck and they want to participate in that, but we're specifically targeting cross dock companies and we're partnering up with those. Right now, kind of where we're at is that we're still growing. The, the volume isn't so high that we have to have this like one huge crosstalk and stuff like that. So what we're doing is we're stitching like two to three together in each area to, to, to make use of that. As we continue to learn and explore and develop our software, who knows how that changes, but that's kind of where we're at right now. Yeah. So I think what's interesting about this is let's talk about truckload versus less than truckload again. The largest players in the truckload market, by the way, that's what, 800 billion dollars, right? It's huge market. The biggest player is one, one and a half percent of the total volume. So you have a very fragmented market. And by the way, I think we will see, I just had John Larkin on my podcast and he mentioned that he thinks that'll grow. We might see four or 5%. So these were trucking companies that are already big are going to get even bigger. But then we move over to less than truckload. The biggest, the 10 biggest less than truckload players own 80% 80% of the market and the top 25 own 90% of the market. And during the pandemic, they've struggled. I mean, like everybody, they're not the only ones. I love less than truckload. So don't take that as a, uh, <laughs> as a criticism. This is an alternative to less than truckload. And, and I think, you know, e-commerce is going to, you know, we're going to need more. We're going to need more, not less, less than truckload capacity. I should, wrong way to say it. The stuff you guys are doing, the stuff that the less than truckload carries, we're going to need more of that, not less than that. And right now, the, a lot of the less than truckload companies are saying at different times, I won't move anything in that lane right now. We're just overwhelmed. Call us in three weeks. Exactly. And that is, if you're, by the way, I, I used to work at a company. We did a lot of less than truckload. We were supporting manufacturing companies, automotive manufacturers and stores. You just can't say, hey, Daniel, things are a little rough on with our carriers. Uh, we aren't going to deliver for three weeks. <laughs> How's that? How's that grab you? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Then, oh, yeah, no problem. No problem, Joe. I'll, I'll tell my customers to wait too. <laughs> <laughs> and then you'd say, hey, that's cool, Joe. I'll, I'll tell my new 3PL about the problems you have. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Exactly. Anyway, so so I think there is definitely room. And by the way, Flock Freight is doing something very similar. And I think they're looking at saying there's some challenges with less than truckload. One of the traditional challenges with less than truckload is there is additional handling and there is sometimes additional stops. Again, I mentioned that Detroit to LA. What you just said, Daniel, was interesting. If there's enough volume that goes from Detroit to LA, there's no stops. And that's great. But a lot of times there is stops where you go, we stopped in Chicago, we stopped somewhere else, somewhere between Chicago and LA, let freight off, put freight on. It's the nature of the the beast. You have that hub and spoke, right? You have line halls and the locals. And I like what you said, because there's a lot less handling. If I can get, if you can get some, and I, I suspect it won't be Detroit to LA, but it could be Detroit to Chicago where it says, we fill that up three times a day and there's no stops. That makes sense. I don't want it stopping in 
Grand Rapids and Kalamazoo. I want Detroit to Chicago. Bam. Maybe LA to Vegas. Bam. That that works really well because again, the extra handling costs money. It also it, it also is where uh, things get misplaced. It's also where things get damaged, stolen. Nothing good comes with an extra stop and extra handling. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I'll say that Flock Freight, they're not using any docks at all, right? And so they their their model is really about the multi-stop kind of multi-pickup, multi-drop off. It yeah. works when it works. It works amazing when it works. It doesn't when it doesn't, though. That's the problem. And we've we've seen kind of, you know, where I've been at with like last mile in, in general, I've seen that. Let, let, let's call it what it is. You need the cross dock. You, you know what I mean? And and I, I don't want to sit over and make a story about saying, hey, the cr- cross docks are like there's a future where cross docks don't exist. I, I would actually say inversely, the, the future, there are more crosstalks because you need to continue to, to gain these optimizations. Well, I think I think there's the, the nature of logistics and transportation is there's just always a need for another model. Yep. We, for, for a long time, had one model, truckload, and then we got LTL, and that's been brilliant, but has limitations. Uh, what they're doing over at Flock has obviously worked like a charm. I mean, and, you know, it, it, they're, they're, they've done fantastic, but what you're talking about Again, I love the idea of, I, I talk to a lot of people, not every single thing we're doing is a foundational or transformational innovation. This this has that feel because again, you're stitching together these local companies that would have no, no way to get part of that, that supply chain that you just described. So anyway, so you started in November, how are you guys doing? Doing well, you know, our team, I can't believe our team isn't yelling at me every day, you know, just um, what we're forcing them to go through. We're hiring quickly. You know, my co-founder, Troy, and I, we spent a lot of time saying, hey, we need to get the right hierarchy. We spent a couple of months planning out exactly what we need, making sure that we were ready for it when we, once we got the money. Um, so we spent, you know, since January, we've hired 20 plus people. You know, most of them have started. Yeah. What are those guys doing? Are they coding or are they managing freight? What are the, what's their day to day? Who'd you hire? So basically we went and we hired, well, so what we wanted to do when we created the company was we wanted to make sure that our first batch of hires and our first batch of employees would put the business up on all of the proper stilts, right? So that every single function that the business needed to have would kind of go out and and work out itself. So we've brought on engineers, we've brought on product designer, we've brought on marketing, we've brought on finance, we've brought on sales, we've brought on operations, right? And so effectively we have every base covered right now from customers coming to us we can we can invoice them on time we can pay the carriers on time we can make sure that this is that the freight is moving through our system properly we have customer service people that can go out and correspond with them and now basically what's happened is that we've went into you know quote unquote warp mode right where now we're we're going out and growing our volume like crazy we're working and reaching out to more businesses and so inherently we're also growing our team but what's happening is that you know, instead of going out, like, like what I had to do in my past, right, instead of uh, hiring holes and filling holes and plugging in holes everywhere I possibly can, now I'm kind of, you know, we're in a set where we have leaders within the company, we have people with properly set expectations who are looking at their piece of the ship, only their piece, and figuring out what is the hole here, where may I get one, how do I plug it in, and how do I keep up with the growth, you know, and so right now we're you know, like I said, we're in warp mode for at least the next few years. And warp mode for us means, you know, constant growth, 
hiring, making sure that we're staying sustainable, making sure that we're meeting our customer promise, you know, all that. You're going to get your money's worth out of that warp thing, aren't you? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You have any kids? We love the name. (laughs) First kid will be named Warp. (laughs) (laughs) So how do you make money in this business model? I mean... So effectively, what we're doing is we're stitching together a number of different providers that are each getting their own piece of this transaction, right? And so you have your local pickup, they need their money for that piece of the transaction. You have the line hall that needs their money, maybe three line halls, right? Maybe two facilities in the middle or five facilities in the middle. And so basically, you know, kind of from there, we're going out and uh, we're, we're paying each of these individual parties and we're summing up what's the total amount of money that's owed to them. And, and basically... And then we're paying them appropriately. What we're doing and what we're charging on top is our optimization fee or optimization charge. We don't have really a name for it yet, but effectively we're stitching together the, the, the pieces that are needed for this one freight transaction. We're summing up what is the amount of money that these people need from us in order to do their job. And then we're, we're taking our, our fee on top. We're giving that in a fixed rate or not a fixed rate, like a, like one flat rate to the customer and, and, and everyone gets paid. Everyone's happy. Yep. So ideally, if this works right, I'm assuming it's working right in some places and you're growing it in others, is that this all becomes somewhat automated where you say the guy in LA, it, the system reaches out, says, who wants this Who wants this biz? And then you just kind of stitch that together. And if you can get this to a place where you don't need a lot of people doing anything manual, uh, that's where you want to get to, I'm assuming, right? Yep. Yep, we got we got to exactly that with parcel delivery with Axel Hire. You know, Axel Hire like very small team compared to the amount of shipments that they're doing. It's it's amazing what we were able to do with technology and kind of the plan is very similar here with 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 freight. So if I was to work with you guys, I call you. Do I go online and get a rate, or do I call or email? How do I how would I work with you? So right now we're being a little bit exclusive because we need to, we need, like I, like I talked earlier, we're very, very kind of conscious and wise with our financial decision making. So we're not trying to flood the market and take every single small customer that wants to apply and stuff like that. We're paving the way, sorry, we're paving the way to be able to do that. Like my goal is to be able to offer the same kind of affordable pricing to smaller businesses. We're just not there yet. Right. And so what's happening is that we're working very selectively with customers who have the appropriate volume, appropriate lanes, appropriate type of freight also in order to stitch together this as efficiently as we possibly can. And once we're there, then we start adding on different types of customers, different lines of business and things like that. So if you, if you want to be a customer today, you'd you'd apply online or you'd send an email to our sales team. We go out, have a phone call with you, really spend time understanding your business, understanding your needs, figuring out how what is the best way that we can serve you, and then having an honest conversation with you and saying, hey, if we do service you, here's what the cost would be, here's what we need to be at, and and does it work for you or not? And then we'd work on a way to, to you know, either it works for you today or it works for you six months down the road, two years down the road, we'll be here for you, you know, uh, to take care of you. So the ones that companies you do work with, are they engaging with you through a platform or is it more? Uh... So once they, once they, once they've talked to our sales team and gotten onboarded as a customer, they're working directly with our dashboard. They can use our API. They can right. put in CSV files, put in it like some of them have warehouse managers that upload them individually themselves. It, 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 we, we offer any capability to get the data into our system, but in order to get into the system, you need to talk to our sales team. Yep. So in each one of these shipments, you're 100% responsible. Warp is warp isn't ever going to say that 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 actually a lot. You got to talk to our line hall guy. That's his problem. 
<laughs> no, we we care about the customer promise. Like my for you know with Axel Hire, we prided ourselves on quality of service, really commitment to get things done properly. I'm all about you know maybe that's the Ukrainian part of me, you know, if you want to say that. But I'm all about like really getting it done right, you know, and and you know whatever it takes to get it done right to the customer, we go out and do it that way. And and look, if 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 one of our carriers screws up, which is bound to happen, we got to deal with the carrier, but we don't want our customer to have to 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 have the problem with it. Right. So, what's the advantage of say like these carriers that you're working with, the line haul, the, the both the line haul and the local guys? I think with the local guys, it's it, it's a bigger advantage. So let, let's go into the local one for a second. With local, the the big thing is, is these are companies that typically wouldn't be involved in a tra- transaction like this, right? They're not signing up to be vendors of other LTL providers. They're usually going out and running some kind of small business operation themselves. This is, like I mentioned earlier, it may be a mom and pop seafood distributor. It may be somebody who's providing services for a local, for a, a set of local businesses and has been doing it for 20 years. These are companies like my parents' company, right? Like they, they've been in business for a while. They have their customer base and they're continuing to serve them. Wait, what do they? What does your parents do? I don't even know. <laughs> oh, so my parents. Well, COVID, COVID really affected their business. So nowadays, you know, I'm I'm helping my parents with kind of like what are next step, what's the right path forward here. But they did courier, they got into a limousine, and then they were also doing like group transportation on buses and things like that. That's what they were doing pre-COVID. So like large group transportation, yeah, which basically man. went to zero, you know, in Mar- March. I tell you, like it seems like every. Um... Russians people, and I know you're Ukrainian, but they really like that limo business. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we like. I like it. We like transporting people. We like solving problems. You know, we we really we're, we're prideful of, of of our work. You know, and I, yeah. I would say that that's a big thing. And and in the same pride, like we show, like we at Warp show are prideful in our work, and we want to show that back to our customers too. Yep. So you, you're 100% responsible. And again, you, you mentioned you're being somewhat exclusive about who you work with right now to make sure that you can deliver on the promises you make. It seems to me that, you know, I know you guys started in November and you're growing rapidly and you're still learning a lot. But it seems to me there's a lot of transportation logistics companies that are saying, hey, we're only going to work with people that make sense right now because they're not necessarily bad. They're just not a good fit for you, right? That that's 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 in my mind. That's that's important in the market. I mean, it's the same in any business. There's people who you uh, who you say these are my peeps. My I used to have a boss who used to say he was very successful, and he used to say we're looking for right thinking guys, RTGs. And he, got, <laughs> and he said I want a metric on RTGs, and what he meant by that was I want to I want to go in a room and I want to just kind of have like the same values, same ideas and have them go, yes, that's exactly what we want. As opposed to, you know, oil and water fit where you go, uh, you know, and none of us want to say no to business, but uh, you're better off saying no to stuff that doesn't fit yet. Yeah. And I think it's a big wake up call to bad customers. There are bad customers in freight and, and I'll tell you, I'll describe for you, Joe, what bad customers are. (laughs) (laughs) Missorted freight. Un- unwrapped pallets, okay? Making appointments that your doc can never com- actually deliver on. Not giving proper data. Lying about class. Lying about weight. Maybe not lying. Inputting the wrong weight and not double checking. All of those things make you a bad customer for free. <laughs> I'll say it now. <laughs> right. And I remember, you know, and I, I haven't heard much lately during COVID, but before COVID even, I heard a trucking company said, we had customers that we fired because they would call and yell at our customer service people. And the customer service people 
say, yeah, this, this job sucks because people call and yell at me. And then you go, well, we can't have people yell, abusing our employees. Same thing. If I, if you can't be ready when I get there, I get it. It happens every once in a while that even the best shippers, but if it's a consistent thing, I had another company that I used to work with that said we had LTL freight. That was the way it was packaged. It was tall and heavy and there was, it would often fall over and it would crush other people's freight and they wouldn't, they wouldn't adjust their packaging. So it would lay flat. And after a while, they're like, Hey, your freight has done enough damage to our other customers' freight. Bye-bye. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Anyway, so let's switch gears and talk a little bit about the growth of this company. So you guys, so you've had some experience at Axel Hire. Very good experience. You guys have done real well. That company did real well or is still doing real well. And now you've got this next company. What are some of the lessons you've learned about in this business about growing? In the freight business and the startup business, you know, I'll tell you from different number of languages, different number of kind of perspectives. Don't grow to a point that you cannot continue that growth, right? So I talk a lot about sustainable growth internally, right? Like growing with customers that would grow with you, with customers that don't, you know, kind of disconnect you after you prove yourself to them and things like that. Make wise decisions about the paths that you travel, especially so early on in the business, right? Like we're we're obviously getting requests for like hazmat stuff and frozen things and everything like that and we'd love to serve as those customers we just can't yet right and and that kind of focus is what our team kind of is 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 thinking about because we're trying to create a very very good model that in the future can work for everybody but just right now we need to prove it out we need to build the technology we need to get this network up and running and once it's up and running we can start telling customers about how to work with us better right so you so you've learned to say no, even though it would potentially grow your business, but it would also kind of blow up your operations and and you maybe not be able to deliver on the promises you want to be able to make. Exactly. And our promise that we want to make, our promise that we're making right now is 99%, you know? And so like on the local stuff, particularly, well, I prided myself. 99% what? On-time pickup and delivery. So basically like I'll, I'll, I'll dictate to you our nine local. Okay. Local 99% is what we're promising right now. What that means is that if you're giving us a, a pickup window, that's, that's two hours or greater. Okay. We're not doing like this one. It's really hard to meet like a very narrow window, but if it's a two hour greater window and a two uh, for both pickup and delivery, we, we meet it with 99% efficiency uh, or, or we're responsible for, uh, for the difference. Okay. So th- one thing we didn't touch on, and I want to touch on it now. Who is the sweet spot? I mean, you gave me three three types of business that you kind of see yourself in. What are those three 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 uh, segments? So it's basically warehouse to warehouse transfers. So those are things like inventory replenishment. Th- people are moving things in, like from a DC to multiple fulfillment centers or between fulfillment centers to restock inventory and things like that. So that's one of our good use cases. Second use case is direct carrier injection. So that's injections into regional carriers like Axel Hire, uh, Viho, going out injection to national carriers like UPS and FedEx. We also have a program that we're running right now around DDU injection. So that's like a, that might be a whole nother podcast, <laughs> But that's basically delivery into dire- directly into USPS DDU locations. So we, we do help customers out with that right now, too. And then the third one is direct store delivery, where we basically help move from distributors directly into the retail locations. And again, there we're keeping in mind things like appointment times, appointment windows, scheduling, you know, uh, ETAs and things like that. We feel like those are three of the hardest challenges right now with middle mile and, and with what we've seen with our customers. We want to tackle them and then start going after the lower hanging fruit. 
Right. And so you just kind of dragged us over to small parcel, didn't you? (laughs) (laughs) So I forgot what DDU stands for, but it's a small parcel thing, right? It's uh, I think it's dedicated delivery unit. Okay. And what does that mean? Basically the local post office. So not every post office is a DDU. So, you know, you go into the post office that's in your neighborhood. Majority of those are DDUs, but not all of them are. What a DDU is, it's a post office that's basically servicing your local area, right? So it's usually your zip your your, your zip five, right? And 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 basically the zip nine gives the route number for that particular DDU, right? But I live in like nine zero zero three, for instance, right? So my post office and my DDU corresponds to nine zero zero three plus maybe some additional zip codes that are within that area. So packages that are brought there to the post office, as long as they're sorted down to that DDU level, basically are given directly to the post office. And if you can bring them early enough in the morning, they deliver them same day. If not, they deliver them by the next day. So effectively, we're working with companies to, to like completely cut out all of the USPS middle mile. We've replaced the USPS's middle mile, and we're delivering directly to the post office, which is responsible for the actual last mile or final mile, whatever you want to call it. And you mentioned direct injection. What is that? Direct injection is just uh, injecting into a regional carrier's local sortation center. So local meaning like local to the area that it's supposed to go to. So a lot of customers right now that are interested in doing zone skipping or interested in using regionals that can't pick up from them locally. Right. What is zone skipping? Oh, okay. Zone skipping. Sorry, I'm using a lot of... I know what they are, but I want to make sure you explain it. <laughs> so basically, UPS and FedEx get more expensive as you go further um, within the country. So if you if you have uh, packages that are originating in LA, it's 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 more expensive to take it to Nevada, even more expensive to take it to Montana, even more expensive to take it to New York, you know, so on. There's about number of different zones, about seven, seven or eight zones in the national carrier perspective. Other carriers all have their own different zones and groups yep. and things like that. What it basically means is that the further a package needs to travel with one of these networks, the more expensive it is. Pretty logical, right? The thing is, is that high volume shippers that are shipping, you know, in this e-com space, subscription delivery, all that kind of stuff, actually can command a much lower delivery cost by bringing those parcels into that zone for the carrier to deliver already into that zone. That way, they're, they're, it's called a zone one price or zone zero, whatever they call it, and, and it's handed to the carrier. And the carrier doesn't have the cost of transporting across country, and they're able to pass that savings along back to the customer. So I could, so I could let's just say I'm, uh, I'm here in Michigan, and I say, I've got all of these ship, I have all of these there's basically parcels, but I want to ship them. They're mostly LA within 50 miles of LA. So I, I could ship those on a truck in, I could put them in a FedEx or UPS container and then ship or in there in a package, ship them to LA. And then you, then you mail them. And I saved a lot of money, even, even though I had to pay for a line haul. Exactly. It's a good way to, so that's zone skipping. And you mentioned this direct injection. So one of the, one of the ways a lot of companies, I think DHL is doing this now. Others are they will they will pick up they will pick up stuff, um, and then they will direct inject into the postal service, right? So they'll go the the most expensive part of the small parcel travel, from what I understand, is that final mile. So they don't want to get into the final mile. They say, we're not in that business. We'll pick it up. We'll drop it at the... I think, uh, you know, many companies are doing that. We even see it with UPS and FedEx where they drop... You you get It went from UPS to your local postal service and then the post office delivers the final mile. So 
strange, strange place, but it, it does overlap with LTL and what you guys are doing, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I think, to be honest, I think LTL, like people shouldn't even think about LTL or FTL anymore, right? Like in the in the commerce space and e-commerce, there's middleman, right? And that's whether it's FTL or LTL or however we get it there, we get it there, you know? Yeah, you know what? It's 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 an interesting point because the nature of our business is blurred lines. I mean, everything blurs. So, once again, who's your sweet spot? Who do you who do you work with right now, and who do you hope to work with in the future? So, our the the accounts that we most that that we feel like we're the best fit for right now is people who are distributing. So, like CPG companies, large large distributors, things like that, who have. A few pickup locations that are further away from these sites, and very, very many drop-off locations. So that, so like anybody who is delivering into retailers, um, delivering into uh, post office. Oh, sorry, go ahead, Joe. So you said CPG, you mean consumer packaged goods. So that's usually consumer packaged goods is uh, Johnson and Johnson, Unilever. Yep. Yeah. Procter and Gamble. Anybody so a lot of the stuff you get in the grocery stores is those CPGs. Usually it's fast moving goods, right? Mm-hmm. So so you you're working with CPGs and they're they, there's obviously some of the biggest companies in the world are CPGs, but you're working with there's a lot of fast growing smaller ones too. So you're working with CPGs and they so describe what you're doing for them. So basically we're helping them to get their product into the store more efficiently, right? So we're basically picking up from their production places or distribution centers and then doing direct store delivery for them. Yep. So what's another sweet spot for you? Another sweet spot is high volume shippers that have few fulfillment centers and need to and, and have a, a big use case for regional carriers. So people who use OnTrack and LaserShip and UDS and and you know Axel Hire or Vio or any of these regional carriers that we can basically inject into those facilities for them. That's also a great use case for us. We provide track and trace. We provide transparency. We can meet kind of same day free times, right? So like we come from the industry. We very well understand that you want to ful- you want to have your last fulfillment time as late as possible and that your carrier wants your freight as soon as possible. So we can help you kind of achieve the, the sweet spot in between. Excellent. Excellent. Well, this is very interesting. You've got a very interesting career and uh, it sounds like a great model. Again, I think you, you said, you know, the, the uh, less than truckload and the truckload is kind of uh, who cares? It's just the, there's a line haul, right? There's a middle mile. And I see on your website that you guys say we're mastering the mid- middle mile. It's an interesting, you know, we, we hear a lot about the final mile and the, and lots of players are in there. And I think, I think the final mile, if I can add, add anything to it is, the final mile needs logistics guys. And the reason I say that is the gig economy is great. It's filled a real need uh, in the market. But I think what the gig economy lacks is the operational expertise and the efficiency that um, you get with logistics guys. We will bring that to a, a consistent experience. We will, we will bring order to that chaos. <laughs> so so that's the final mile. We understand that we're we're talking a lot about that and I think we will continue to improve. And I know again that's not to say anything wrong with the gig economy. And again, I think there's a fantastic opportunity now. I mean, I know a lot of people are making a good living and living the life they want to live, say, "Yep, I'm home for when my kids get here and I'm doing whatever I want to do and making making a few bucks when I need it." But uh this oper- this what you're doing is really a cool opportunity for them to expand into business they couldn't get otherwise. 
Yep, absolutely. And we're happy to work with, you know, small businesses across the country. Like, uh, you know, look at my heritage. I come from, I'm a, I'm a small time entrepreneur, you know, that happens to get lucky. And I'm, I'm hoping to bring that stuff to other small businesses and small business owners. Excellent. Excellent. Well, what I'm going to do, Daniel, is I will put a link to your website and a link to your LinkedIn profile and any other links you give me. I'll put those in the show notes so people can reach out and talk to you. And uh, thank you so much for taking the time to explain what you're doing over at Warp. No problem. Thank you very much, Joe, for your time. Wait. Oh, damn. I didn't even say. So do you ever like when you ask one of your employees, do you ever say when they need it? Do you ever say warp speed? Sometimes we have we have an internal internal meme page that, that everything that doesn't make it to freight caviar makes it to our internal meme page. <laughs> oh, that's right. Oh, that's right. Please explain your relationship with freight caviar. Uh, we Paul is a great guy. We we loved his content. We we loved his character, his personality. We we thought he'd be a great head of content marketing for us. Um, he was happy to accept the position, and we basically allowed him to run it, continue doing what he does on freight caviar, and then do our content marketing on the side too. So we're we're helping him, you know, go out and get a little bit more structured on it and things like that. But outside of it, we we live and breathe freight caviar daily. We we are not influencing all of that stuff is Paul's original ideas and and we're happy we're happy to to, to get first look at it. <laughs> you know. So I'm just going to call him Paul J. Since you're from that area, what is what's Paul's last name? Paul Yaroslavsky. Jaroslavsky, gosh almighty. You guys should go with like short last names. Like He's PBJ. PBJ. <laughs> okay, PBJ. He was on my podcast not so long ago, and he does freight caviar. And he, right now, he's a, a, an American born here in the U.S., just like uh, he's born to Polish parents. And he moved to the Ukraine a few years back to help scale the back office. I don't know if it's back office, but to grow a logistics company, Chicago-based logistics. And I think it's Everest grow that in Ukraine. I think they hired a hundred plus people. So, and then Paul left a year or so ago, moved to Poland where his grandparents still live. And uh, he's living over there and, and he started freight caviar from over in Poland, but he's got ties to, he worked at freight brokerages here and he's from Chicagoland. So great guy. And I, I'll put also a link in the show notes to the podcast I did with Paul and uh, linked freight caviar. By the way, um, if you don't already follow Paul on um, LinkedIn, please do. Or on Instagram, he does a great job on uh, Freight Caviar with memes and videos and all sorts of cool content. Yeah, covered a lot of ground here, Daniel. <laughs> Thank you yeah, so much Joe, for absolutely. taking the time. <laughs> <laughs> no problem at all. <laughs> Thank you so much, sir. And uh, thank all of you for listening to my podcast. Your support's very much appreciated. Until next time, onward and upward. You've been listening to the Logistics of Logistics podcast, where we engage in conversation with experts in the logistics field. For more details, visit thelogisticsoflogistics.com or follow Joe Lynch on LinkedIn.